I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. An Erio's original. I was born with a special gift. The ability to mentally transform any situation into the worst case scenario in my own brain. My therapist calls my gift catastrophizing. And that's why I'm uniquely qualified to scrutinize and analyze history's greatest disasters and find out who's to blame. They say history repeats itself. Not on my watch. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith. And I am The Alarmist. everyone. Thanks for tuning into The Alarmist, a comedy podcast where we talk about history's greatest tragedies and figure out who's to blame. Today we're discussing Typhoid Mary. Here's what you need to know. In the early 1900s, the bacteria Salmonella typhi, which caused typhoid fever, was heavily linked to the poor sanitation in New York City's slums, which is why George Soper was hired to investigate an unlikely disease outbreak in Long Island's Oyster Bay, amidst the summer mansions of wealthy New Yorkers. It was 1906, and a Long Island landlord had rented his home to a banker's family and servants for the summer holiday, only to find six of the 11 residents had fallen ill with typhoid fever. During his investigation, Soper narrowed in on Mary Mallon, a cook who had arrived three weeks before the fever outbreak. 
He believed she was a healthy carrier, meaning that while she showed no symptoms, she was unwittingly spreading typhoid fever to all those around her. Mary Mallon was born in Ireland in 1869 and emigrated to the United States as a teenager. She took up employment as a cook for Charles Henry Warren and his family in the summer of 1906. At that time, without regulated sanitation practices in place, the disease was fairly common and New York had battled multiple outbreaks. When Soper discovered that Mallon would often serve ice cream with fresh peaches, he deduced that this uncooked treat was helping transmit the Salmonella typhi bacteria. With the help of up-and-coming public health advocate Dr. Josephine Baker, the New York Department of Health, and the police, Detective Soper forcibly tested Mary for typhoid bacteria, and when she tested positive, sent her to a quarantine facility in North Brother Island. Dubbed Typhoid Mary by the press, Mary Mallon was satirized, demonized, and characterized as a devious Irish woman out to poison her employers. Despite suing the New York City Department of Health for imprisonment without due process, it was three years before Mary was released on the condition that she wouldn't cook professionally again. Five years later, when another typhoid outbreak infected 25 hospital residents, Detective Soper was hired to investigate once again. The cook, named Mary Brown, was discovered to be Malin, who had drifted back to her cooking career in various New York restaurants, spas, and boarding houses. In 1915, Mary Malin was sent back to North Brother Island, this time permanently. On Christmas morning, 1932, a man who came to deliver something to her found Mary on the floor of her bungalow, paralyzed. She had had a stroke of apoplexy and never walked again. Six years later, she died of another stroke in 1938, after 25 years of quarantine. Fun Facts, a.k.a. Death Stats The word quarantine comes from the Italian quaranta, meaning 40, or the number of days ships had to remain isolated at sea before the people on board could go ashore during the height of the Black Plague, when as many as 50 million 14th century Europeans died. Of the eight Long Island families Mary Mallon cooked for, seven of them had experienced cases of typhoid. 22 people presented signs of infection and one died. As a cook of Sloan Maternity in Manhattan, she contaminated at least 25 people, doctors, nurses, and staff. Two of them died. During the course of two outbreaks, at least 51 people caught typhoid through Mary Mallon, and three died. The number of cases was probably much higher. There is even speculation that she caused the 1903 epidemic at Ithaca, New York, which had a devastating 1,400 victims. With us today is producer Clayton Early. Hello, everyone. Fact checker Chris Smith. Hi. And our very special guest today is friend, writer, and senior editor at Bon Appetit, Mackenzie Fagan. Hello. Hi, Mackenzie. Thanks for having me. <laughs> We're so excited to have you on. And, you know, you, you, you mentioned that you're a huge Typhoid Mary fan. I am. Yeah, I am. <laughs> Got like posters and stuff? 
Oh, yeah. Abs- scrapbooks, whole nine. <laughs> also, I just feel like she's very um, topical. Like, she's been very yeah. topical the last couple of years. That's Truth. true. We'd like to start off the show by asking our guests, what is something that is recently alarming you? What is something that's keeping you up at night? Sure. Um well, I mean, I'll go specific because I think probably the usual answer is like um, the the novel coronavirus. That's, <laughs> That's a classic. Heard, <laughs> we got climate change as well. That's a yeah, big yeah. one. Also, a, also a solid one. Um, but my dog's been a little sick, so I've been oh. alarmed. We all know, we all have dogs. We all know. I've been alarmed at the fact that she can't tell me what's wrong. You know, I want her to do, um, you know, those are like boot pads that people have for their dogs where they're like outside Mm -hmm. play. I just, I want to, I want to train her to be like rear tendon left, you know, like I want her to be able to articulate what is wrong with her. You not only do you want her to speak, but you want her to have some kind of medical knowledge. Yeah, I want her to go to med school (laughs) as well as learning how to speak. That would be really helpful to me. And you you don't really care if that brings more discomfort, all of the teaching her how to put how to put her paws on all these things that's irrelevant to you, you know, because it could hurt her. I think I think she'd be fine. (laughs) she's up for it she's up for it i thought you were gonna say that the discomfort was gonna be her having to learn like it was gonna hurt her brain (laughs) i think she's kind of bored frankly and she's been like you know she's had had to be a couch potato as the vet Mm. said keep her off her legs and we're like oh like could we get her an ipad like she's just bored (laughs) so i think that actually she would appreciate the stimulation of first year med school for example. <laughs> yes. Going from the couch to med school is like a natural transition. Yes. It, Study it's, for those MCATs. <laughs> it's a, a, a tough thing because like I, I think about babies as well. It's like they can't tell you what they need or what they want. And, you know, it's it's just like you look at them and you're like, I hope I'm doing OK, you guys like. <laughs> They can't do anything. They can't tell you anything. Like, what if you're like, oh, the problem is definitely that they are hungry. And it's like, that's, and that's, they need their diaper changed instead. You know, right? Same with dogs. It's like, yeah, Mm -hmm. I don't know that we're doing the right thing, but she seems to be getting a little better. Okay. Well, we, we hope that she feels better and that she, um, you know, passes those tests pretty soon. Yeah. And, and just so you know, because you're on this podcast, you forgo the rights to the screenplay for the dog that goes to college. So we, we actually get that IP. So it's like, it's like Air Bud meets Doogie Hauser. Oh, yeah. I was going to, I was, yeah, I was going to go with Legally Blonde meets Air Bud, but yeah, that, that, that works too. (laughs) Well, that's a perfect transition because I'm just curious. It's I'm, <laughs> if only your dog had gone to med school, perhaps they could explain to us what is typhoid fever. Wow, that was so skillful. I didn't know how you were going to get there. I was like, "Is that the perfect transition?" But you, you really did it. She's got an act for this. It's been she's she has so much practice. This is her gift. She's really mastered this the transition. Is her uh-huh. gift. And, and, and now I love the we part. We all just bear witness. My favorite part of the show now is when we stop after I make the transition. Right. When we stop and we talk stop and about the transition that yeah. just happened that's it gets good air time the transition gets a lot of at least a minute and a half yeah (laughs) it really brings the conversation to a grinding halt so (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, But seriously, what is typhoid fever? And this is according to Britannica.com. Typhoid fever, also called typhoid acute infectious disease, caused by the bacterium Salmonella enterica, Serovar typhi. Okay, sorry about that, guys. (laughs) The bacterium usually enters the body through the mouth by the ingestion of contaminated food or water, penetrates the intestinal wall, and multiplies in lymph lymph lymphoid tissue. It then enters the bloodstream and causes bacteremia. Most major epidemics of typhoid fever have been caused by the pollution of public water supplies. Uh, food and milk may be contaminated, however, by hu- by a human carrier of the disease who is employed in handling and processing them, by flies, or by the use of polluted water for cleaning purposes. Shellfish, particularly oysters grown in polluted water and fresh vegetables grown on soil that's fertilized or contaminated by untreated sewage, are other possible causes. Now, the prevention of typhoid fever depends mainly on proper sewage treatment, filtration and chlorination of water, and an exclusion of carriers from employment in food industries and restaurants. In the early part of the 20th century, prophylactic vaccination using killed typhoid organisms was introduced mainly in military forces and institutions and contributed to the lowering of the in, uh, incidences of the disease. So they, at the time, in the early 20th century, came up with a vaccine before, this is like 30 years before they figured out how to treat typhoid uh. fever. They came, came up with the vaccine. And, and now do we have antibiotics? Is that like the main... Okay, so we did not get vaccinated for typhoid fever. Correct. I don't believe that's something that's added to our, like, vaccine, you know, the the ones we take when we're a kid. Yeah. And is it different from typhus? Or is that the same thing? Good question. Fact checker Chris. Fact checker Chris. I'm not sure. Uh, Um, My instinct is they're two different words, so they're two different things, but we will check into that. (laughs) Now, typhus also knows... what you pay him for. Yep. Did you get to the bottom of it? I'm pretty sure they are two different things. Yes. Okay. Fever, headache, rash, as opposed to it's not. Yeah, no, that's a, t- it's a different thing. Well, I'll tell you what typhoid is. Okay. Uh, after an average of 10... Not to be confused with. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I'm reading Wikipedia. I'm a great sec- fact checker. I really am. <laughs> okay. So this is really interesting how this works. After an average 10 to 14 day incubation period... Ooh, That's a long time. We've heard of those too. Yeah. Just hanging out. Yeah. The early Enjoying symptoms new body. of typhoid appear. Headache, malaise, generalized aching, fever, and, and a restlessness that may interfere with sleep. There may be a loss of appetite, nosebleeds, cough, and diarrhea or constipation. Persistent fevers develop and gradually rise. Left untreated, the fever continues with only slight morning remissions for another 10 to 14 days, sometimes longer. So you're talking about a month. You get this and you're out for a month. During about the second week of fever, typhoid bacilli are present in great numbers in the bloodstream. At this point, some patients develop a rash of small rose-colored spots on the trunk, which lasts four or five days and then fades away. The lymph follicles, along with the intestinal wall in which the typhoid bacilli have multiplied, become inflamed and necrotic and may slough off 
Oof. Leaving ulcers in the walls of the intestine. Mm. The dead wow. fragments of intestinal tissue may erode blood vessels, causing hemorrhage, uh. or they may perforate the intestinal wall, allowing the intestine contents to enter the <gasps> peritoneal cavity. Ooh. Other oh, that's complica- how people die. That's yeah. like yeah. sepsis at that point. Yeah. Other complications can include acute infl- inflammation of the gallbladder, heart failure, pneumonia, and a bunch of other things, meningitis and uh, other itis things. I just want to point out to the listeners that I've been looking at all of our faces while Rebecca was reading, and I imagine we're making the same face that listeners of the show are making right now, which is like a scrunched up, like. Ugh. This is a good yeah. one to. This is a good one to play during like a brunch. I think. Yes. <laughs> right. I would say right before a meal. Yeah. yeah. Before and during. Dig in. <laughs> uh, okay, so by the end of the third week, the patients are emaciated. Abdominal symptoms are marked. And uh, mental disturbance is prominent. In favorable cases, about the beginning of the fourth week, the fever begins to decline, the symptoms begin to abate, and the temperature gradually returns to normal. If untreated, though, typhoid fever proves fatal in about 10 to 30% of all cases. With treatment, as few as 1% of patients die from the disease. Mm -hmm. So I think at the time, because there was no treatment, it was in the 10 to 30% of all cases, people would die. Scary. Very, yeah. Kind of also reminds me of, I mean, it, it conjures a lot of things for me, but sim- the symptoms uh, that uh, Mackenzie's dog is unable to tell Mackenzie about, you know, you, you, you know, with when, when there, there's news, new diseases, oh. you know, doctors, you know, want to, especially during that time when medicine was relatively early. Here's a, um, here's a twist really, for you. Yeah. What if, I mean, just because we were talking about this, Mackenzie, have you considered that you're maybe a healthy carrier that's passing something on to your dog unknowingly? Oh, wow. I hadn't considered that, but uh, thanks. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you should go to medical school and see what- <laughs> Just to make sure that she's not passing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> to test yourself for stuff. Right, right. I'll just take a quick stool sample. <laughs> So understanding how scary that disease might have been, right, mm-hmm. at the time, mm-hmm. and seeing the people around you, not only the doctors didn't know what to do, but uh, people were dying from it. And, you know, it's it takes us to the realization that there is this thing, you know, what Mary is, is a carrier who, an asymptomatic carrier. And... That must have been like, talk about like your head explodes kind of moment, right? Where it's Mm. like, try and explain that to people who have never heard of that before. Mm. You have a thing that you're not affected by that's making other people sick. And and like, where are we at the time with like microbiology? Like, would people in Mary's time period have understood that this was like a, a bacteria that was passed from person to person, that it was like, you know, carried through fecal matter and like could contaminate food? Or are we still in the era where it's like, ooh, like miasma is just floating through the air and, you know, it's like bad air. Great question. And anyone could get sick at any time. Well, what I will say about that is that it's a time period where they didn't under, they didn't think that like proper sanitation had to be taken 
proper sanitation methods had to be taken when preparing food. So they, right. so the fact that they were still like, you know, they would use the restroom and then not wash their hands before they cooked a meal. That says a lot about how, you know, they didn't understand bacteria, I guess. I think it was early. Um, so yes, in, to answer that early, it was it was still too early for them to they. The, I think it was like some scientists were onto germs and spreading disease through um, bacteria and germs, but I don't think it was like one of those things where it wasn't ex- fully accepted by the scientific community yet. Right. So, so kind of depended on like, the doctor. We're probably beyond bloodletting, but we are not to a full understanding of like bacteria. And how that's transmitted. Mm-hmm. Yes. Exactly. I'm thinking of The Nick. You remember that show? Oh, uh, yeah. yeah uh, it was a, a show on uh, Showtime, I believe. Right? Yeah, and that was the early 1900s. Early I think that 1900s. Was... You know, it takes place in the in the hospital in New York City. And they're, they're just figuring stuff out. They're just starting to use um, anesthesia, right? Oh. Or, or, yeah, or that kind of thing. Yeah, but then they're also using like one of those pumps that you pump like... Uh, air underneath the fireplace that's like being used a lot for like blood <laughs> transfusions and shit mm, so it's mm. like so it's really it's they haven't perfected it's it. very mouse trappy when it comes. Oh, i'm so glad i live right now you guys i know i always <laughs> I think know. that as yeah, a whenever somebody and oh, science yeah and for whenever science. somebody's like oh like what era would you have liked to live in i'm like are you a straight white man because obviously <laughs> the answer is right now today right it's today or in the future because you know it's only going to get better Yes, I'm gonna save it up, except for climate change. That yeah. might that yeah. might actually no, work. Oh my god! What if things. this is the peak? What if we're like, we might I'd be, be peaking. Out. We don't. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're, we should be peaking. walking around every single day, being like, we're peaking, we're peaking, we're peaking, <laughs> thriving. It's all downhill from here, folks. <laughs> but um, so so it is uh, understanding the time. Not saying it's okay, but it's understandable that Mary Mallon is then placed in this crazy um quarantine like extreme quarantine and let's start putting things up on the board yeah yeah um i think poor should we put like poor sanitation practices because i feel like we've been talking about that let's pour poor sanitation habits this is according to history.com doctors theorize that malin likely passed along typhoid germs by failing to vigorously scrub her hands before handling food however since the elevated temperatures necessary to cook food would have killed the bacteria soper wondered just how malin could have transferred the germs he found the answers in one of malin's most popular dessert dishes ice cream with raw peaches cut up and frozen in it. I suppose no better way could have been, uh, no better way could be found for a cook to cleanse her hands of microbes and infect a family. Soper wrote. So we peach can also just cream. put, put the peaches, peach ice, peach ice cream. Yeah. Put it up on the board. Up on the board. Mm-hmm. Does Bon Appetit have a peach ice cream? I'm sure we do. And I'm sure it's delicious. Bonappetit.com. Go there. Check it out. Um, Okay. So we we have to put those poor sanitation habits up on the board. And in all fairness, it's, they didn't know, but they, they had an idea. They had an idea that she was spreading things. And the crazy thing about typhoid Mary and, and, or, just the, the the whole thing is that she kept going back to being a cook. It was like she 
it was it must have been a, a well paid job. It was. That was a big part of it. Is that she didn't want to give up that position. Yeah, she had sort of worked. Also, to it's earn. like. What else is she supposed to do, right? right? She's an immigrant from Ireland. She's she's unmarried, right? She had very little family, yeah. Yeah, like what else is she? I mean, she doesn't have many options. So it's like, well, if right. she's not if she's not going to cook, which is I assume like what her training is, how would they like her to make a living? Right. There's yes. no, <laughs> we don't, we did, the women didn't have as many options back then. She's not going to run for president. Yeah, <laughs> right. No. It would have gone really well for her in 2020. So. <laughs> um, so let's put up classism paired with sexism up on the board. Yeah, I I think also like with classism, the only way that they discovered her was because these rich people were getting sick out on Long Island. Meanwhile, like how many people were getting right. sick in like, you know, the slums of the Bowery and like mm. nobody nobody cares, right? But yes. all of a sudden you got this rich family getting sick and they're like, wait, let's pay attention to this. Yes, now it's a problem. Right. Rich people are dying. <laughs> um, this is according to Smithsonian Magazine. Historians such as Judith Walzer Levitt, author of Typhoid Mary, Captive to the Public's Health, point out that by the time of her second imprisonment, Malin was far from the only known character. There were thousands across the country and hundreds in New York. And today we know that being a carrier of disease is not that unusual. So why was Malin alone among carriers imprisoned for life? That's the million dollar question that nobody can answer, says uh, James Calgrove, a professor of social medical sciences at Columbia. It might have been because she was female, Irish, uncooperative and without a family. Yeah, this is another question I have, which is like, okay, once you have typhoid fever, you just have it for ever? Well, no. I don't think it's... It, it, some people, it leaves your system. Like, it, it does stay in your system for a long time, like we were talking, like almost a month, right? But some people after, I believe, three months shed the disease and th they no longer have it in their system. Weeks but there, there are those other cases of people who just continue to have it and spread and for the rest of their life or or for much longer periods I of time. I guess they become carriers. Yeah, that's that that's that's right. Because she just can't she can't have been the only person like as you just said, Rebecca, like there had to have been so many other people like her, like she can't be one of a kind. And mm -hmm. also, I mean it sounds like you can you can spread it while you are infectious as well. So it seems like a little bit I just think that she gets a bad rap. Like mm -hmm. yeah. every single case of typhoid fever can be traced back to her. Like that can't be true. No, no. it's impossible. They needed a villain. Yeah. You want to put branding on the board? <laughs> yes. Branding. Okay. Uh, branding. Uh, the post. And I, I was going to call it the poster child problem. Mm, there you go. Um, why did the individual story of Typhoid Mary capture the country's attention and create a media frenzy when this was a collective issue with thousands of carriers throughout the United States? Singling out one person to encompass an entire illness or phenomena is called the poster child problem. Paul Slavic, a psychologist at the University of Oregon, says individual stories and individual photographs can be effective for a while. They capture your attention. They get us to see the reality, to glimpse the reality at a scale we can understand and connect to emotionally. So, you know, there's this famous photo of her in the hospital, laying on a hospital bed 
it's like if you Google Typhoid Mary, it's the the black and white photo that pops up. And it was that along with the the branding, the name, right? Typhoid Mary that went a long way. They also there's this other famous poster of her like with a there's a saucepan in front of her and it's almost like I, I think they're eggs or something, but they're actually skulls that are going into a, a pan. Yeah, she's like Jeez. seasoning a soup with death or yeah. something, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that was the 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 little like cartoon or whatever that went along with all of these pieces uh, that that came out in the media. So, I mean, I also just think there's a difference between something like this, where presumably typhoid fever is like spreading in pockets around New York and other areas and something like um, the COVID outbreak in Taiwan, which is the last time I used the words typhoid Mary was over Thanksgiving talking about this, Mm. where Taiwan is like an island and they had locked down. There was no COVID at all. Like they'd beaten COVID. And then this New Zealander pilot gets out of his quarantine hotel to go visit his mistress or lover Mm. And that's patient zero. Like they can concretely identify that he is the person who brought COVID into Taiwan and spread it through this liaison with his lover who like then went out and went shopping or something like that. So like something like that is like, this is the guy who did it. But Typhoid Mary seems like she was probably one of, you know, many hundreds of people who were spreading it all around New Mm -hmm. York and or the U.S., right? Yeah. Yes. And, and it, if and she's to blame for anything, it's getting the rich people sick. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is like, okay, well, let's limit the judgment about just the rich people getting sick. You know, it's not like. So right, their lives are more valuable. Yeah. And, and I think that there there's also this. Um, I wanted to talk about Mary Mallon's lack of trust. Right. Which kind mm-hmm. of goes with what's happening at the time, right? Where, where she feels singled out. I I think that she was feeling a lot of that at the time. Uh, This is according to national geographic, Dr. Uh, Josephine Baker, an up and coming advocate of hygiene and public health was dispatched to convince Malin to provide samples, but was also chased away. Baker, whose father had died of typhoid, later made it her mission to promote preventative medicine and became the first woman to earn a doctorate in public health. It was Mary's tragedy that she could not trust us, Baker later wrote. Now, I just want to point out that uh, when they're talking about she was chased away, it was like literally she was stalked. Mary was stalked by these people who were trying to get um, samples of her like feces and uh, I, I think I know it was feces and something else. They're I trying to get these people samples. away too. <laughs> exactly. Right? Like and if there's somebody shows up on your doorstep, come on. Yes. Th- right. She comes out like with a, a, a kitchen knife or something, you know, like kind of like trying to like tell them to get away. And she's like, there, there's another account of her like hiding in a, in a house for like five hours trying to like evade the people that are there for her. And at the time she doesn't, they're just, you know, it's like, they're like, trust us, you know, uh, we just need to get the sample because we need to figure out if, if you're carrying this and she's telling them, she's like, I'm fine. I feel fine. And then the irony of it is that they, she 
obviously was a carrier. And what do they do? They ship her away. So it's like, trust us, trust us. But she was right. uh Yeah. I mean, I think that like, I would like to know how much they went out of their way to explain to her their methodologies. Like, it seems like we have a failure in public health communication. Mm. And I would say, Dr. Josephine Baker, that the tragedy is that public health officials were not able to adequately explain themselves to her. Because, like, if you show up on someone's doorstep and are like, hey, can I have um, some of your poop, please? (laughs) Like, like without explaining why and, like, backing up and explaining, like, what bacteria is, like... Right. We need some context. Well, that's... I think that's an exceptional point. And I, uh, to back that up, let's put lack of ethics educating of the patient up on the board. And this is according to an article called Mary Mallon and the History of Typhoid Fever. No one ever attempted to explain to Mary the significance of being a carrier. Instead, they offered to remove her gallbladder, something that she had denied. <laughs> Instead of working with her to make her realize she was a risk factor, the state quarantined her twice, making her a laboratory pet. Mary endured test after test and was only thinking of how she could cook again. She had become a victim of the health laws of the press and, above all, the cynical physicians who had plenty of time to test but never had time to talk with the patients. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a time. This is from a Time article. Author Mary Beth Keene said, instead of trying to educate Malin about her unique condition at a time when the uh, average person knew so little about germs, the Department of Health, along with the New York City Police Department, showed up at the Upper East Side home where she was employed and arrested her without a warrant. Treated like a criminal, even as health officials admitted that she had that she harbored typhoid fever through no fault of her own, placed in forced isolation, even as those same officials acknowledged that New York probably had hundreds of not, if not Mm. thousands of health carriers moving about in the city. Her case was riddled with contradictions from the start. I think we saw a lot of this around early vaccination efforts too, where this type of top down medical establishment paternalism was really getting in the way of vaccinating people, right? Mm -hmm. Like the idea of like, hey, you know, this is for your own good. You just need to get vaccinated, which like obviously everyone should get vaccinated. But if you don't stop and understand why communities, especially marginalized communities who may have reason to be skeptical of the medical establishment, why they're reluctant to cooperate, then you're not you're not meeting your goals, right? Like Mm -hmm. We just have to back up and and explain to Mary why she has to give a a sample. Yes, and we have to be patient, right, with Mary because she is uh she was an immigrant. She was at the time the Irish were were marginalized, right? Um especially in New York City, and she didn't have anyone around her that she could fall back on. She didn't have like a lot of family. And so you have to understand that this person might need some extra, you might have to have some extra patience with this person because they're not gonna just be like, okay, yeah, a Mr. You know, policeman who, who wants to take me away to jail without a warrant. (laughs) It, it, it creates, it, it creates a lack of trust. Um, in in the medical establishment. I mean, we saw this, uh, like you're saying, Mackenzie, 
in the early part of the pandemic and continue to see it. And, and because of those, uh, because of those sort of early, um, fumbles it just the mask stuff in particular like yeah we weren't supposed to wear masks and then we should yeah that stuff it just it all affects how it affects how people you know continue to relate to these institutions they it the the trust is broken and it just totally backfires so i think lack of ethics but i think mackenzie's phrase uh, she used to the um, medical establishment paternalism is also a good um, and and slightly different and more specific way of, of saying it. Okay, yeah, yeah. Let's put that up on the... Now, mm-hmm. can you explain the, the difference maybe between I the guess, two? I guess there's a feeling that, I mean, certainly during Mary's time period, but also today, that people who have gone to medical school like my dog soon are like, you know, (laughs) I know what's best, you know, and, and you, you know, you don't have my education. You don't understand. You just need to listen to what I'm telling you to do Ah. for, for your own good and for everybody else's good. And, you know, again, bringing it into the modern day, you saw African-American communities who remember the Tuskegee experiments, who remember forced sterilization of black women and are like, wait, you're saying that you just want me to like trust you right <laughs> you have the right. my best interest in mind and so knowing that there has been this very real harm done by the medical establishment in the past who's just said you just have to trust us it's for your own good it's like th- we have to work against that in order to make sure that everybody's public health is taken care of and that people are being respected yeah and who knows what mary's history was with like the medical establishment in, in her time like what but did she ever have a bad experience with a doctor? Like, yeah. You know, what she happened when she own... came over to Ellis Island? Right. Exactly. We don't know. And we probably, it, it wouldn't have been recorded, right? Whatever it was, even if she did have an issue, it, you know, wouldn't have been taken seriously because she was a woman too. In the Yeah. She really didn't have a voice in this whole. No. Narrative. And <sighs> I think that's, that's so sad. Um, it It does feel like, she just needed a little bit more patience and understanding. She needed yeah. a uh, uh, someone. She not only carried, she needed a good nurse. She was like not a only good a medical ca- advocate. You know. Yeah, she was not only a carrier of typhoid, a carrier in her liver, but she carried a lot of the burdens of females <laughs> and immigrants in the United States at the time. If I were your editor, I I would ask you to rework that transition. But I think that it's a good point, Chris. I I also I also feel like now that we're talking about like I want to know more about I want to know more about her, right? Like, why? Who taught her to cook? Why did she immigrate? Why didn't she have any family? Like, she has come to be defined by this one thing, and she is notorious, infamous for this one thing, and vilified Mm -hmm. by the press. But like, I want to know about her i know and we the sad part is we don't really know that much what we do have is a letter that she wrote in 1909 and she wrote this to her uh, lawyer and it was while she was in quarantine for the first time and I'll, i'll read some excerpts of it because it kind of shows her state where she's at um and she writes 
George Francis O'Neill, in reply to Dr. Park of the Board of Health, I will state that I am not segregated with the typhoid patients. There is nobody on the island that has typhoid. There was never any effort by the board authority to do anything for me except to cast me on the island and keep me as a prisoner without being sick or needing medical treatment. And it goes on. When I first came here, I was so nervous and almost prostrated with grief and trouble. My eyes began to twitch and the left eyelid became paralyzed and would not move. It remained in that condition for six months. There was an eye specialist who visited the island three and four times a week. He was never asked to visit me. I did not even get a cover for my eye. I had to hold my hand on it whilst going about and at night tie a bandage on it. So no, she must have felt so isolated. Mm -hmm. It goes on. When in January of 1908, they were about to discharge me when the resident physician came to tell me to came to me and asked me where I was going when I got out of here. Naturally, I said to New York. So there was a stop put to my getting out of here. Then the supervising nurse told me I was a hopeless case. And if I'd write to Dr. Darlington and tell him that I tell him I'd I'd go to my sister's in Connecticut. Now, I have no sister in the state or any other in the U.S. Mm. So they were like, well, just tell him you're going to go to a sister. You're going to go to Connecticut. She's like, I don't, you don't understand. I don't have family. I wonder if that, do you think that was like a a nurse who was trying to help her out to be like, you Mm. just got to tell him you're going to Connecticut. Yes, I think so. But still, it was like, well, what do you want me to do here? Right. Yeah. She doesn't have options. You know, nobody's no. saying like, okay, you can't be with, you know, working in a kitchen in New York. So like, here's what you are going to do. Right, right. Right. So she just ends the the letter by saying, I've been in fact a peep show for everybody. Even the interns had to come to see me and ask about the facts already known to the whole wide world. The the tuberculosis men would say, there she is, the kidnapped woman. Dr. Park was, has had me ill illustrated in chicago i wonder how that said dr william park would like to be insulted and put in the journal and called him or his wife typhoid william park (laughs) so he's just like i wonder how you'd feel if if you were in my shoes essentially Mm. Hmm. so she had a hard time it was not easy for her and you can just sense the frustration coming from this letter she was able to get out uh, I don't know if it was because of this letter or because this lawyer helped, you know, you know, th- there was a case she made. They pled their case and she was allowed to leave. Now, unfortunately, she went back to cooking and another outbreak caused, you know, at, at one of the hospitals where she was working at happened. And that's how they found her. Again, essentially, they're like, can we see the cooks in your in your hospital? And then there she is again. Right. (laughs) That must have been a moment. Can we also put up on the board? I mean, is there something to this? I don't know how to classify it, but the 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 idea of a carrier was novel. Like that was totally new for them that you could be asymptomatic carrier. And I just feel like that was a huge part of it because she's like, well, I'm not sick. I don't feel sick. I don't. I'm, I'm therefore I'm, I'm well, I can cook. But it, the fact that she was a carrier was sort of new information. So I don't know if, is, does that, that like do, a lack of, I mean, it, it sort of education? feeds, I guess it sort of feeds into, 
just the science mm. at the time wasn't there yet. Maybe Limited it's science? like maybe it's like also a red herring in some way, right? Like they've just discovered this thing that you can be an asymptomatic carrier and to the exclusion of everything else, like whether that is um, hand washing and uh, proper hygiene and, you know, the search for antibiotics, like maybe they're just like doggedly focused on that. Mm. Like they think that that's the way to end typhoid fever is to isolate this asymptomatic carrier. Right. Yeah. So it's like they're focused, they're focusing on the wrong. How do we, how, or like how do we just, that? they're focusing on part of the problem, but they're not seeing the big picture or something. Yes. Tunnel vision. Sure. sure. I also just want to say, because I didn't say this, uh, we were talking a lot about the press and her bad press. So I do feel like there's a place for the media up on this board. Mm. Oh, agreed. Yeah. Yeah. That that political cartoon that you're mentioning with, you know, her seasoning the pot, like so evocative and mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think I read now, I, I don't know if I'm I'm remembering this correctly, but I think I read that in the hospital that she was working at when she the the outbreak start the typhoid outbreak started they made a joke the 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 i don't know if it was the other cooks or or the people who worked at the hospital made a joke about her, her being like typhoid mary they were Ooh. calling her typhoid mary like to her face not realizing cuz she went under a different name sure and, but her first name was still Mary. And she's uh, still Irish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Whoops. <laughs> well, okay. So I feel like we have a lot of good stuff up on the, bo- on the board. Uh, let's take a quick break and then we'll start knocking things off. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have stress and anxiety we carry around as we go about our everyday life. At The Alarmist, we know it's always better to say it out loud and talk it through. Whenever I stress about the sinking of the Titanic, I don't sit with those thoughts in a dark room. I turn on the lights and dive right into it. Therapy is a great place to get things off your chest and work through what's really going on. Maybe you can't stop spiraling or catastrophizing. I started therapy over 10 years ago and never looked back. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Heck, we sometimes change our minds and rethink the verdict at The Alarmist. And that's also okay when it comes to therapists. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Alarmist today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Alarmist. And we're back. Hit us, Chris. Who's to blame for typhoid Mary? Is it poor sanitation habits? Peaches and ice cream? <laughs> Mary Mallon herself? Classism paired with sexism? Branding, the poster child problem, Mary Mallon's lack of trust, a lack of ethics slash educating the parent patients, medical establishment paternalism, the media, or treatment tunnel vision. Wow. Okay. This is a really good specific list. Mm-hmm. High concepts here. We're, we're going to have, I know we have to go kind of quickly, but so I just want to take poor sanitation habits off of the list. Ooh, well, definitely peaches and cream. It was <laughs> it was what got people sick. <laughs> well, yeah. Here's my question: What to blame for what? Like the outbreak, or for what happened right. to what are we this woman, Mary? Here? What are we focusing on? That's a good question, and I think that we should focus on the. How like inadequate, because at the end of the day, it was a failure, right? Because they quarantined her and typhoid fever continued. Right. Right. She was a victim Mm. and and the victims were also victims. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think let's let's figure out who's to blame for her forced imprisonment. Okay. So then I think we can remove her. Yes. Right. If we are talking about her as a, her victimhood as part of the issue, yeah. then I think that yeah. she is not to blame. I yes. would agree. And I also think her peaches and ice cream are not to blame. Yeah. <laughs> but perhaps Honestly, it sounds, sounds delicious. delicious. It does. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the fact that they're raw peaches, I mean, I just mm-hmm. I admire that from like a culinary standpoint. Like she could have <laughs> she could have cooked those peaches down, but she kept yep. them. Oh, natural and ah. full of salmonella. <laughs> <laughs> Oopsie. But for, for, that's why I think like almost poor sanitation habits are more to blame. Mm. Yeah. Then, right? Yeah, I agree. I mean, poor sanitation habits is sort of like a larger umbrella. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think that like, if you think about it that way, if we had proper sanitation and hygiene, none of this is a problem. Yes. Right. That's why I actually right. think we should keep it up on the board a little okay. bit longer. Let's keep, keep it on it the up. board. Let's keep it on the board. I'd also say that Mary Mallon's lack of trust is a consequence of medical establishment, paternalism, classism, and sexism. That that's sort of like the symptom of the problem. Yes. So we can take that off the list. Which one? The Mary Mallon's lack of trust. Okay. I also, I think the media was also a response. to. I, I think there were some other people at, actors at play that were fueling this what do you call it this this you know yeah, what they I mean? jumped on the bandwagon but they were not the instigators i i don't think mm-hmm. so they didn't help okay. the situation mm. but if anything i think the medical community is more to blame mm-hmm. than yeah. the media for this yeah one. and and like the bureaucracy around yes. the medical community yes Treatment tunnel vision. Actually, now that's that's actually making a lot of sense. Yeah, it's kind of hard to parse through yeah. all this stuff. Perhaps we can fold things into other things. Sure. So the the branding, the poster child problem that that feels that's like kind of they were looking for related. an outlet, yeah, or uh, a scapegoat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that I'm, could be folded into. I would say that's just like a it's a it's a media thing. Yeah, I mean, it's like, related. I know, but t- to me, I I agree. But I also think that it's a real key player in this thing. I think you know when you when you go back to the early part of the COVID pandemic, and you think about the early stages and when Trump was president, there was a lot of finger pointing and and branding that went on early. That yeah, the Chinese the Chinese the virus, G- the Chinese yeah, virus, right? And I and I sure. think yeah because I think that that is an instinct that is a base human instinct that really limits the scope of people's understanding of what's going on. It it it, it if is if if your number one goal and I'm talking as a member of this podcast, which our number one goal goal is to blame someone or something. <laughs> but if, if your goal out yeah. the gate is to find somebody or something to blame you're going to shoot yourself in the foot um, in terms of educating people and in terms of eradicating the disease, I think. Right. It doesn't address the issue. So maybe it's, maybe it's scapegoating is the thing to have on the board. Let's, let's, let's change it to that. And I think that we can take treatment tunnel vision then off because I think it is more scapegoating. It's, It's the scapegoating to me is a very dangerous, Mm -hmm practice mm-hmm. that I think should be looked at. So what do we think about the lack of the educate lack of educating the patients versus the medical establishment uh, paternalism, which are both. I feel like they're family. They're they're members of the same family. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering which one is more. They're Siamese twins connected at the asshole. <laughs> <laughs> which which one of them is taking up more more use of the the organs of the Siamese? I mean <laughs> I think that medical establishment paternalism means that they didn't feel like they had to educate Yes. Patients, okay. That they so were like we know what's best. Yes. So let's take off a, a lack of educating the patient, lack of ethics. 
Okay, so we are left with four real big ones. I don't oh, know how we're going to do this. They're all great ones. I mean, we have, terrible mm-hmm. ones, but like yeah. great ones. We have poor sanitation habits. We have classism paired with sexism, medical establishment paternalism, and scapegoating. I also like how classism paired with sexism sounds like a dish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it does. <laughs> it's, a, it's a rare sauteed classism paired with it's 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 raw sexism it's not cooked (laughs) just like those peaches that's right that's how you get infected (laughs) that's right (laughs) um oh my god what are we gonna do here here's what i'm leaning towards i'm leaning towards oof i'm between classism paired with sexism and scapegoating actually because i Hmm. and i and i think that we could almost fold scapegoating into classism paired with sexism because why did they choose her? Right. And I I actually think that classism paired with sexism is like the horrific backdrop against which not only scapegoating, but medical establishment paternalism exist, Mm. right? Like that's just kind of the, like the base note there. We're we're paternalistic because of classism and sexism. We're scapegoating her because of classism and sexism. I don't know yes. poor sanitation habits. I mean, I guess you could also make a case for poor sanitation habits. Like we don't care about uh, people who dwell in like urban environments. So that's sure. sort of classism, mm, sexism. Classes, it's just kind of sure. like a, you know, an undertone. Yeah. yeah. So then what would we slap? The medical establishment? <laughs> or I, maybe they sanitation? Should know better. But they should know better. I kind of feel like they're to blame. I kind of feel like they're to blame because they should know better exactly. And because if they had simply done their job better, I think not only could the outbreaks have been prevented or mitigated, but also Mary wouldn't have had her life totally ruined. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what we're looking at here. That's essentially what this is about. It's about the outbreak and the subsequent consequences of uh, Mary. So maybe we have a backhand. So, so we get all three of them. Yeah. Well, I, uh, the the question is then: Are we sending the medical establishment to jail? I think so. Medical right. This is what we're, we're leaning towards. Sounds right. And then we, and then we just slap classism paired with sexism. Boom! Clean across the face, and we let poor sanitation habits go, go un untouched. <laughs> no, no, we have to. We have to raise an alarm about proper sanitation. We just yeah. have to. Yeah. Okay, so they get the backhand. Okay. 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 All right. I I'm like gonna call it. it. Classism paired with sexism. You're getting the big slap. Look out, porch sanitation habits. Here comes the backhand. The medical establishment paternalism. You're going to the alarmist jail. I mean, these were big concepts that very specific big concepts. I've I feel very proud of ourselves. <laughs> Of mm-hmm. myself and of us. <laughs> Likewise, I think we did an excellent job. I agree, and I also like the idea of uh, medical establishment paternalism wandering around in our alarmist jail, going to various other, you know, uh, um, people in the alarmist jail, mm-hmm. and and sort of telling high them what handing to do? them with their complaints. <laughs> Just, <laughs> they're complaining of a stomach ache and they're like, oh, you'll be all right. Like, you know, like I like that paternalism wandering around in our alarmist I mean, jail. I like thinking that we're doing to them what they did to Mary, that we're like, ah. guess what? We're, you're going to the island. Mm-hmm. You're staying on the island mm. forever. 
and yeah. you can't you can't hurt anyone else there. That's right. Mm-hmm. And we're not actually going to explain to you why you're there. Like you know, it's like we can't be bothered. No, no, yeah, that's a no, big no, part of yeah. it. Yeah. Yes. They're in the dark. They don't know why they're being. Uh, we're going to show up at their house and we're going to arrest them and we're not going to tell them why. Why? Yeah, yeah. we're going to say poop in this cup and then we're going to take you <laughs> and away come with forever. me. <laughs> <laughs> come with me. Oh my goodness, um, Mackenzie! Thank you so much for uh, helping us get to the bottom of who's to blame for you know this. Ter- the terrible uh, incarceration or, or, or forced uh, quarantine of Typhoid Mary. Wow, it was truly my pleasure, you guys. Thank you so much. <laughs> I, I hope that we found the perfect scapegoat for this uh, terrible tragedy. <laughs> yeah, that would have been awkward if the scapegoat was scapegoating. Mm, <laughs> that would have been. Dodge that bullet. <laughs> yes, that would have confused a lot of our listeners. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> Thank you, Mackenzie. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, guys. In the aftermath of Typhoid Mary, at the time of Typhoid Mary's death, more than 400 healthy carriers of typhoid had been identified by New York officials, yet none had been forced into confinement. Throughout the 20th century, The incidence of typhoid fever gradually declined, in part due to the introduction of vaccinations, as well as improvement in public sanitation and hygiene. In particular, the chlorination of drinking water made a significant impact on the number of individuals affected by the disease. Today, typhoid fever is considered a rare condition among developed countries, with an incidence rate of approximately five cases per million per year. Visit our website and let us know who you think is to blame at www.thealarmistpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram at The Alarmist Podcast and on Twitter at Alarmist The. You can also send us your thoughts via email to thealarmistpodcast at gmail.com. Today's episode was produced and engineered by Clayton Early with fact-checking by Chris Smith and editing by Molly Hockey. Additional writing by Anastasia Kousakis. Thank you to our associate producer and researcher, Alex Paul. The Alarmist is executive produced by Rebecca Delgado-Smith and the Erios Network. Tune in next week. We'll be discussing the Tangaway train disaster on Christmas Eve. Erios. Powered by ACAST. 